Entering the Freedom Hut. More lockdowns on the way across the country. We'll bring you up to speed on where and how severe, plus updates on the Trump election fight, threats against Michigan election officials, and Governor Cuomo blames COVID victims. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. If I told you that 12 months ago, the Democrats and the media would be cheering on politicians for threatening to arrest people for the crime of gathering with their families on Thanksgiving. You would have thought that. If if I had said that I was insane, right, if anyone had told you that you would have thought that they were completely crazy. But here we are. This is happening right now. And now the question becomes, are we going to continue to comply or are we going to fight? Now, what does fight mean in this context? An excellent question. People bring this up. Exercising autonomy and freedom in every way you can based upon your own individual circumstance, which takes into account your health risk toleration, which takes into account where you are in the country. Are there any others who think like you? Are you going to be the one person in some sea of blue? Because as we know, this has become political. This is insane. It never should have been. But now it is. You see, opposing mask mandates and shutdowns was never about Trump. Despite all the garbage peddled in the, in the American media, you can see I don't care who the president ends up being when it comes to lockdowns. I don't want them. I don't support them. I don't think the data supports them. I think they're unconstitutional. I think it's tyranny. This is going now beyond even a, a deep constitutional argument to just a natural law and natural rights argument. I have a right as a human being to spend time with my family over a holiday, irrespective of whether the government thinks it's good for my health. I don't give a crap what the government thinks about it. This is about individual decision making. It's about having the agency, the free will, to live your life as you see fit. Remember, you're not doing anything in violation of actual law. You're not harming anyone, but they pretend that you are. They pretend that just because you're out and about, it means that there's a possibility of risk. But there's always a possibility of risk for countless activities that the government does not prevent. The government does not threaten to lock you up for engaging in those activities. You know, there are anti-COVID protests in Germany. There have been there have been some in Spain. There have been some in many European countries. I suppose we're going to be told that these are all just far right nationalists or some other nonsense in our own media. Maybe they're just people that are sick of walking around all the time now outside with masks on. Wearing masks outside is not scientifically supported. There is no study. There is no basis for this. But what you see 
is a constant shifting of what the science says based upon the needs of the left wing collectivist consensus. And that's what's happening right now. We have the CDC offering up guidance to people to avoid travel over Thanksgiving. I just want to ask you this. Do you think they're going to say, you know what? Good job over Thanksgiving, guys. Now the cases are really low. No, no, there will be more cases. We are entering a period here of upper upper respiratory virus spread. And people that were not infected the first go round are going to be at at continued risk to get infected this time. This is just the reality of what we're facing and what we're dealing with. But no matter what you do, remember, and I've been telling you this all along, they'll say it's not enough. They'll say it's insufficient. The lockdowns, the shutdowns of businesses that come along with it, the restrictions on your ability to move freely, to worship, to engage in religious practice, to go to funerals, to go to weddings, to have birthday parties. Unless you're Gavin Newsom, then you can go with a whole bunch of people, including senior medical bureaucrats in the state of California to have one of the fanciest dinners in the United States indoors. The elites have no problem with hypocrisy. In fact, hypocrisy feels good behind closed doors in places the elites don't really want to talk about. Feels good. They like that they can get away with this stuff. They like that the rules don't really apply to them while they're going around crushing the likes of you and me. And I have to say, I'm tired of it. I'm sick of so many Americans walking around doing what they're told. We should all move like a bunch of cows being herded into our pens. This is outrageous. I thought this was a country that believed in freedom and the risks that come with it. But no, we have bureaucrats. We have a system of control in place now that's taking all those decisions away from you. If you saw where we were and where we are now, if you could have seen that a year ago, I'm telling you, you would have said never in America would that happen. The American people would not go along with it. And that's why I say we fight. It's time to stop the lockdown madness. Those who want to live their lives should non-comply however they can. And then what's the level beyond that? Those tasked with enforcement of these rules should refuse to do so. Those with power who push this tyranny should be held to account. And those in positions of authority who are trying to fight for greater liberty, for greater autonomy for us as individuals, for our lives to be up to us, those people should be supported with everything we can, with everything we've got. There's no one answer to how you fight back against this. It may be that you just refuse to mask up outside because it's idiotic, because there's no basis for it, because they even told us that for months when the pandemic was raging through this country late last winter and into the spring. You don't need to wear a mask outside. That's that's not supported. The biggest studies that have been done on this say that the risk of transmission outside is effectively nothing. So maybe you don't wear a mask outside. Some of you perhaps will say, I don't want to wear a mask inside, but then you're going to run afoul of state law. You may find yourself harassed. Fights break out over this. People become violent. That's how unhinged they are. There are people across the country right now who think they have a right to lay hands on you 
because there's a one in 10,000 chance that you may have a respiratory virus, that there is a tiny chance that if they're near you for more than 15 minutes indoors, they may contract from you. The reproduction rate, the R number that goes along with viruses, even when it's at a pandemic, if it's an R of one, most people who get this are likely to give it to only one other person. So when you really do the math, anyone that's threatening violence against you that lays hands on you because you're not wearing a mask is acting like a lunatic. But it happens. It happens all across the country. People have gotten into fights. There have even been people killed because they weren't wearing a mask. This is a mass brainwashing that has occurred. Uh, they ignore the data that they don't like. They dress up and inflate the data they do like and they love this control and we know they want to use it for much more than just covid control they want to use this for human control they want to tell you what you can do what you think the same people that are pushing the green new deal the same people that want socialism and a government that's constantly engaged in social justice re-engineering of society you think that they don't view this as an opportunity to remake this country and perhaps even the world. Of course they do. In fact, I bet there's a huge relationship between people who believe climate change is an existential threat to humanity who are also strong supporters of lockdowns and mask mandates. I'd say if you support one, there's over a 90 percent chance you support the other, probably a 99 percent chance. Right? If you believe climate change is an existential threat to humanity, you're a mask up all the time indoors, maybe in the shower, maybe in bed when you sleep at night. What if a fireman has to break into your home during a fire and carry you out? Got to have that mask ready to go. Don't want to give him covid. These people are insane. And they think we're the crazy ones. I told you the same thing all along. I act the way of, uh, with with covid that I would during a bad flu season in terms of the precautions. Yeah, if you're sick, stay away from people. That's always been our custom. And when, when Fauci says abandoning, abandoning all public health measures, no, I, I'm not about to go to a crowded house party with 60 people indoors shoulder to shoulder. I'm not saying be stupid, but could I sit in a restaurant six feet away from people and feel like I'm probably going to be OK? Yes, I could. Is being shoulder to shoulder at a bar maybe not a great idea right now? OK, but those are I, th those are based on intelligent risk mitigation strategies that we all know exist and are real. And it's also a question of individual choice. I'm saying I wouldn't do that. But if somebody feels like, one, maybe they've already had COVID, two, they're not particularly concerned about it, they should be allowed to live their lives. It should be up to business owners if they want to open their doors right now. Or if they want to go to the government for assistance in this period, that should also be an option for them. But it shouldn't be that everyone has to be shut down and everyone has to do whatever these tyrants in charge say. I mean, based on what we have had the removal of choice from our lives in a way that's unprecedented. The trampling on liberties that has gone on here. We have so many people who talk about liberty, you know, and, and, and this is on our own side, too. You know, they're waving flags and don't tread on me and the founding fathers. We believe in all this stuff. Do you think that? The generation that was at Bunker Hill and Concord Bridge, you, you think that they would see what's going on right now in this country and say, yeah, good job, guys, really, really carrying the torch of liberty here. 
Well, everyone hides. Where's your mask? Where's your mask? No, I think we've all seen where that gets us. Do they have any answers? Do the mask shamers, the smug, I listen to the science mask shamers, do they even try to explain why we're having huge surges in cases across the country when we have more mask compliance than ever before? That's how effective masks are. We're wearing them all over the place. Worst cases we've ever had. And in fact, the states that have had the longest mask uh, mask mandates and the most strict ones are the worst hit by the virus once again. But they don't answer those questions, do they? It doesn't really doesn't really matter to them, because as I've been telling you, this is about something else. The answer to how we fight back against this is in every way that you can, that you choose to. This is about whether you get to control your day to day life or the state gets to control your day to day life. Some of you are going to be particularly brave. You're going to say, I'm going to open my business. I'm going to walk around without a mask on. Understand there are consequences to that. You may get fined. Your business may be shut down. Somebody might start a fight with you in the gym because you don't want to be on a treadmill with a mask on like an idiot. And I understand it. I appreciate that. I feel the same way. But everyone right now is making their own decisions about how to fight back against a movement that at its core is about removing your ability to make decisions. So there's some there's some poetry there. There's some broader meaning in all of this. Tell people the truth about what you're seeing happening. Don't allow those who claim that they understand more than you for no apparent reason to bully you and silence you and make you do things you don't want to do. Fight back at your school board to get schools open. People who say schools should be closed are idiots. They're wrong. We've run the experiment. They were wrong. It's the lazy, disgusting teachers unions that are pushing for this stuff in major cities. We all know it. Fight for schools to reopen in your area. Fight for restaurants to stay as open as possible. 50% capacity, you know, 75% capacity. Do what you can. Support those local businesses. We all have to band together here. The government's not going to pull us through this thing, and the government's not going to give us back our freedom. We have to find ways to do it ourselves. We have to take that freedom back. And otherwise, we're going to have holiday after holiday for months on end here where we're told, sorry, you don't get to see your loved ones. You don't have the right. I'm sorry. I still think this is America, and I'm not willing to give it up to the Fauci morons of the world. Not willing to do it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. There are many states that do have mask mandates in place um, and some that do not. Um, but I look at their rate of spread, and the fact is is that cases are increasing in many of those states as well. If you look at Wisconsin, they've had a mask mandate since August, and they have a higher rate of spread than the state of South Dakota. You look at Montana, they've had a mask mandate in place since July. Both of those states have higher rates of spread than the state of South Dakota. Uh, when you look at Wyoming, it has the fastest spread in the nation. 
Uh, and that is the concern that I have as many times uh, I don't want to approach a policy or a mandate just looking to make people feel good. Uh, I want to do good and actually put forward provisions that make a difference for families. And these local communities have some flexibility today that Sioux Falls can make a different decision than Rapid City. Rapid City can make a different decision than Lemon, South Dakota. Watertown can make a different decision than Pure. And, and that's what some of these local leaders are doing in, in reacting to the people in the community based on what they want. Doesn't that seem entirely reasonable to you? That's Governor Christy Noem, who I, I hope has has a, a bigger future in the GOP. I think she's a star. I think she's what people like to think Nikki Haley is, but Nikki Haley is not in terms of the the next best chance of a GOP female presidential candidate, somebody who would do really well in the Midwest, really well in the Rust Belt states. That's what I see. But back to what she's saying here. We have a lot of data. The data gets ignored. Mask mandates do not work. But the problem is the other side claims they're they're unfalsifiable. Right. The moment that we talk about a mask mandate, they say, well, it'd be so much worse unless it'd be so much worse unless we had them uh, in place. How, well, how do we prove that? Shouldn't we be thinking about mask mandates in terms that would be obvious to everybody, as in. Of course, these work. Of course, these are great. And they make everything just fine. Right. But that's not the way that it goes. They won't ever back off of this. You think they'll admit to people that they put them through all this? You think they'll admit to people that that's the reality? They just made mistakes here. There were enormous mistakes made in so many other areas of the covid response. But on this one, they're claiming on this one, they're claiming it's. Settled science, right? They were putting people on ventilators, which was a terrible idea and caused a lot of people to die that probably this is the, the medical community now. Now, I'm not blaming anyone, but I'm saying there were enormous mistakes made there. We don't really ever talk about it, but masks they won't back off of. Masks uh, they, they think are are sacred somehow. And remember, it, it is a symbol. It's about more than just that piece of cloth over your face. It has turned into Will you comply? Right. You know, don't tread on me. It's time for people to start saying don't mask on me. Enough is enough. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So this is a good Thanksgiving to just stay home and stay within your bubble or or at most, you know, a small uh, number of additional two or three people who, you know, are also taking really good precautions. But this is a good year to stay home. And it's a good year for us to do it across the U.S. So maybe we could have a better Christmas. Uh, there's 250,000 dead people. We'd like to limit that further. And the other thing I'd like to pick up that you, the point I heard earlier on the show is a single negative test is not a pass to say, I am fine, I can now go do whatever I want, because you may well still be infected and incubating. Uh, so please be cautious of thinking that, well, I got a single negative test somewhere and I'm I'm good to go. Stay home. You can't Social test your way into Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, you just can't test your way to that table. That's just not the way. You to can't test table. your way into Thanksgiving dinner. And we've seen this around the president, right? You couldn't even protect the president with a testing strategy. Even tests won't protect you from 
passing it on to relatives, getting it from relatives. They're telling you, I thought testing was our way out of this. Remember that? They, they always find the negative interpretation because there's no such thing as perfect health security. They always find the, well, it's possible, therefore, let's go with the most extreme interpretation. People die every year. Tens of thousands of people die in America every year from influenza. Nobody ever says, don't have Thanksgiving, don't open your business, wear masks. Never happens. Now, you could say, well, Buck, that's only tens of thousands. That's every single year. And I know that they've made this argument, oh, you're a flu bro, and there's all this. How is this not a valid argument? They, they never even address this. We accept as the cost of living in a free society anywhere from 30 to 80,000 deaths will occur in the United States every year from influenza. OK, and that that doesn't even take into account people that during the same respiratory period, a respiratory illness period um, are going to get other viruses that might turn into a, a bacterial pneumonia or you know, other ways that people end up succumbing. You know, we're talking about mostly older people who are at risk. Yes, we are all going to get old and we are all going to die. That is our reality as human beings. What's open to us in the meantime is what can we do between now and then? How much freedom do we have? How much joy? How much of a contribution? How worthwhile can we make our time here? And these idiots in the government, in the public health sector, are taking your time from you. I have never said if you are worried, if you have health conditions, if you think you're at high risk, whatever precautions you want to take, by all means. And we should be set up to support anybody who feels like they're in that category. They should have an ability easily. There's a lot of food delivery services and things like that in large cities, but in more rural areas. People should be able to bring them food in a safe and secure manner. People should be able to bring them their medicine. I mean, we should have this all set up. But me, I'm going into an office every day right now already. I live in New York City. I was riding the subway every day, four times a day, believe it or not, during the height of the pandemic spread. And even after it hit New York City, there were a few weeks there where I was still riding the subway every day. So, yes, I would live my life. And when the virus was really bad, did I limit some contact with my parents to try to? Sure. But if everyone in your family feels fine and now they're saying even if you get a covid test beforehand, that's not sufficient. What they're saying is that there's a, you know, a one in 10,000 chance. Remember, it's not a one in 10,000 chance that you're going to give covid to somebody and they die. There's like a one in 10,000 chance that you'll get you'll get covid unexpectedly. Give it to somebody. That's the first leap. And then they have a 99% chance of surviving even if they get it. Are, are, we're all going to hide from this now. We're all going to act like, remember, Thanksgiving, this is a one-time occasion we're talking about this year. This isn't do it every day. I'm not saying gather together with your whole family every single day. Especially, it's all about risk. It's all about what's acceptable. But they don't view it that way. No, they want to panic you. And it's not just Democrats. I mean, here's Secretary Azar, you know, the bureaucrats, they don't want any any heat coming down on them. So they take these positions. Here's HHS under Trump. Azar, play 12. The safest way to celebrate Thanksgiving this year is at home with the people you live with and through virtual celebrations. Gathering indoors with people who aren't members of your household is a higher risk activity for spreading the virus. 
Please know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Because of the sacrifices Americans have made and the hard work that so many have done, we will have the chance to celebrate holidays much more safely with family and friends not so far in the future. You know what the safest way to have sex is? Never have sex. It's true. You know, you never know. Stuff can go wrong. I'm not even just talking about, you know, people can pass diseases back and forth, but, you know, you can have a heart attack. It happens. People die. Safest way to have sex, never have sex. People still could have complications in childbirth even. I mean, I'm talking about even in the confines of a marriage. You know, sex can be dangerous. Safest thing to do would be never have it, never do it. It's a health risk. And it's the dumbest thing any human being's probably ever said, right? But how different is it really from the, from the attitude you're hearing these days? Oh, only do virtual meetings. Only do virtual Thanksgiving. Don't see your family members. Like I've said, if you cut out being, you know, having any symptoms, being sick, if you're sick, stay home, stay away from people. That's already, that's already taking out the symptomatic population from being able to spread this thing. One of the problems that exists is people get sick and then they're already around their family every day because it's in the home. Intrafamilial transmission is a primary risk of this, right? But they know they can't tell people you have to live alone forever, so that doesn't work. But that's really where the risk is. The one-time gathering where you're with a bunch of people, statistically, much lesser risk than what will happen for, you know, I, 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 only, I have one friend in New York City who died from COVID-19 uh, and it was my well, it was my friend's father, but I've known him for almost 30 years and he passed away from covid and he got it from his wife, who's a healthcare worker who also got it. But she was fine. That's really a, a big play. And that was where there was maximum spread. And this is when things were going so badly in New York City. Uh, but what they're telling you here is effectively no risk is acceptable. Well, if you cut out people with symptoms from a gathering you're already taking a very important step. You know, maybe limit how many long, you know, hugs and embraces you give more senior citizen members of your family. I mean, I'm telling you this right now. I could get COVID and I could die from COVID. I am not worried personally about COVID. Based on everything I read, based on everything I know, I'm not worried. And I could be wrong, but I still want to live my life. And I know there are a lot of other, there are millions and millions of other people out there like me who feel like it's an acceptable risk. There are some activities I wouldn't do. I would choose not to do right now. I, I can wait, you know, I can wait to go to an indoor rock concert until the vaccine comes out, right? I mean, I'm willing to make some of those. But, I mean, I can't go to a restaurant. I can't see my family. I can't go to a, uh, you know, I can't go into a store. I can't go. There's so many things. And for what? It doesn't even work. They're putting all these impositions on you. You know, do they really think that if we have fewer Thanksgiving gatherings, there's not going to be a whole lot of covid spread all over the country anyway? You still got to go to the grocery store. You still got to go to the drugstore. People still have to live their lives and living your life is a risk. Or you can listen to the, the panic mongers out there. You can listen to here's Biden's covid advisor. This is the guy that wants a four to six week, a four to six week lockdown. Straight nationwide. This is what you're going to get with the Biden administration. And, you know, I told I told you we were going to go into another lockdown as a country. And I've told you that the Biden administration, if it happens, was going to make everything worse. And here's exactly here's the proof. Here's all you need to know. Play four. 
I think right now we all have to understand that we need current information on the number of cases. I think that the White House task force uh, report issued yesterday, or at least be made public yesterday, is right on the mark. We are really in a crisis stage. We have to be discussing what can we do? What do we do? You know, it's not just enough to help Americans understand you don't want to swap air. How do you incentivize them? How do you help them realize that this is what they want to do? And I've been saying for some time, we need FDR moments right now. We need somebody to say, this is what's happening. This is how bad it is. We're going to see hospitals collapsing in the next two to three weeks. And and this is what we've got to do to address that. And just remember one thing, for the next three weeks, the cases are already in the pipeline. The people who are infected this morning will be the cases of next week in the hospital a few days after that, and will be in the intensive care rooms and dying after that. So even if we did everything we could right now, we would still not turn this thing around for literally three to four more weeks. Just two more weeks, three more weeks. These guys always say that they're always wrong. But notice that he's already he's already factored in here. If you do everything I say, it's still going to be really bad. But if you don't do what I say, it's going to be really bad. That's the choice we're always given. Do these horribly inconvenient, destructive economically and emotionally and psychologically painful things or else and we still get the or else but they tell us the or else is not as horrible as it would have been they're wrong they're just wrong what they tell us doesn't doesn't do anything it doesn't make what when i say this if you could create a society where everyone wore their mask perfectly, where everyone socially distanced exactly as they say they would, where everybody would be careful about washing their hands. If you could re-engineer human beings so that we were robots and that we would all respond to the mandate like robots, we wash hands, we stay away, we wear the mask. If we did that, maybe it would be able to, while we were still doing that, dramatically curb infections. But the only thing that really brings infections down is telling you to you have to stay away from other human beings, keep you in your home. This this mask thing is is fantasy land stuff that it's going to break, uh, break the spread of the infection once it's already out there. We've already seen this. It's, it's it's absurd. And you could say, oh, Buck, but the science. Yeah, but people don't wear their masks perfectly. Every time I get on the elevator in my building and everyone here is panicked, people are, you know, fidgeting with their mask, their noses, they're breathing through their nose, which people believe might actually be where the, the worst viral particles might reside. They're breathing through their nose, not through the mask. You know, they pull their mask down to cough. I can't tell you how many people I see pull their mask down to cough. Remember, all this has to do to be a, an ongoing pandemic. Every person who's sick gets one person sick. If it's an R1, a reproduction rate of one, it turns into exponential pandemic very quickly. So these mandates are all based on the idea that people are going to be so good with the mandate that they won't even expose one person if they get sick. Does anyone really think they're that good at this? They're not going to breathe air into a room. It's aerosolized. You don't even have you could you can get infected and they don't want to talk about this, but the studies have shown this so far. You can get infected walking to a room after somebody's already been in there. How are you going to control for this? Viruses have been around as long as human beings have been around, friends. They've, they've adapted to continue to spread. Why they exist, that's a whole other question. Who knows? But we have not defeated aerosolized virus with these measures, and we're not going to. So take basic precautions to limit your risk and then go forward and live your life as you see fit. 
or just keep obeying the tyrants and see see how you feel, see where you are in nine months when maybe maybe they'll start to say enough people have gotten vaccinated that you don't have to live in fear anymore. We'll see what the country looks like then. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You may not have ever heard this one so directly before, but Cuomo wants you to know, Governor Cuomo wants you to know that if you get COVID, it's probably your fault. This is what he says. Play 20. And just to make it very simple, if you socially distanced and you wore a mask and you were smart, none of this would be a problem. It's all self-imposed. It's all self-imposed. If you didn't eat the cheesecake, you wouldn't have a weight problem. It's all self-imposed. That's moronic. I mean, truly, he, he's truly a dumbass. I don't know what else to say about it. What, what you, it's your fault if you catch a a submicroscopic aerosolized virus that's in wide circulation all across the country people with masks on get sick we know that for a fact it does happen there's no question about that mask wearers get sick in fact there's some data to suggest that it's mostly mask wearers in a lot of places who get sick now that may be that may be because of such high mask adoption rates but the point is that it's people wearing masks that are getting sick in a lot of places Maybe, yeah, sure, they would have gotten sick anyway, but the masks aren't, aren't some game changer for them, that's for sure. But he's straight up saying, it's your fault. He is taking the position here that the reason COVID uh, is hitting certain people is because you don't listen enough to their demands. You don't listen enough to what they tell you you have to do. I've been telling you this all along. This continues to be their fallback. This continues to be their fallback. And, and then also just they can't help but try to take shots at Trump over this vaccine. I mean, right now, instead of saying, wow, what a, what a huge accomplishment the vaccine is, you got Biden and the rest of them pretending that because there's not enough of a transition already in place here, whatever that means, that the virus uh, or rather that the vaccine is going to be delayed. So so now they're they're leveraging this once again. It wasn't just enough to weaponize COVID as Trump is responsible for all the deaths. It's Trump's fault. It's so terrible. It's all on him, right? They did that. We know that. But beyond that, uh, they've now said that if the virus continues into the next year, it's because of the recklessness of Trump in the transition Right. Because of the vaccine. Play 19. We get to the point where we have a sense of uh, when these vaccines comes out, how they'll be distributed, who will be first in line, what the plan is. There are over 300 million Americans and beyond our our border that are going to have to be taken care of. And uh, there's a whole lot of things that are just we just don't have available to us, which unless it's made available soon, we're going to be behind by weeks or months being able to put together the whole initiative relating to the biggest promise we have with two uh, drug companies coming along and finding 95% effectiveness efficiency in the vaccines, which is enormous promise. So I just want to tell you that, that that's the only slowdown right now that we have. 
Yeah, it's all it's all about the the slow vaccine rollout. That's Trump's fault. Not a lot of love given to the administration for being the only reason we have the vaccine. We shouldn't say the only reason. It was in partnership with major drug companies. And those drug companies, a lot of beating up on Big Pharma. Not a lot of people taking a moment to say, hey, Big Pharma, thank you for helping to maybe save the planet here pretty soon. So that's worth noting, too. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And even the New York Times wrote articles about how uh, dangerous mail voting, mail-in voting was. And um, this is the first time we ever did it en masse. And I think we proved that uh, all three are profits. It's not only susceptible to fraud, it is easily susceptible to fraud, particularly if you have a plan or scheme which sounds eerily similar to what Joe Biden told us a few days before the election that he had the best voter fraud team in the world. Well, they were good. I don't know that they they were that good because they made significant mistakes like all crooks do. And we caught them. Big updates today. Long press conference from the Trump campaign legal team, the senior legal advisors to the Trump campaign talking about the various legal challenges. There was Rudy Giuliani. You heard today from Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, who I've talked to multiple times in the last few weeks about this, and Sidney Powell, who is perhaps best known for really being the the great champion of General Flynn and the injustice done to him. And she was completely correct on all of that. She was absolutely spot on. And... Here's what we what we gathered from today. The Democrat position on things like voting in Pennsylvania, the voter security measures on matching matching signatures in Georgia on all these different uh, all these different things you have in place. It's it's in part because if you do get into a super tight election and it does matter that only every legal ballot be counted, you need to have the mechanisms there. You need to have those things to check, right? And, and if you don't, and Democrats made sure there was a bare minimum of them, how can you ever know? People seeing what they believe to be fraud. Let, let's say somebody sat there who was a, a poll worker in Philadelphia and filled out 100 ballots and someone saw him do that for Biden. Unless they have video, unless they confronted them right then and there, uh, there's no way to prove all it is is ballots for Biden. If they're taken out of the security envelope, if if they get to the point where they can just fill out the ballot at the ballot center and there's now I understand that there's supposed to be observers to prevent this. But when they saw things that don't make sense, there's it's very hard to have after the fact proof of it. So when people think they're seeing fraud, they may have. But then how do you prove it? And this has been my concern all along with these legal challenges. But Giuliani, Ellis, Powell, they seem very confident that they will be able to. To prove this from this news conference is right around lunchtime today is when they had the news conference. Um, here, here's more. Rudy Giuliani led essentially provided the, the opening statement, if you will, from his side on this. Uh, Producer Mark, play the next one. Which um, to any experienced investigator, prosecutor would suggest that there was a, a plan from a centralized place to execute these various acts of voter fraud 
specifically focused on big cities and specifically focused on, as you would imagine, big cities controlled by Democrats and particularly focused on big cities that have a long history of corruption. The number of voter fraud cases in Philadelphia could fill a library. Just a few weeks ago, there was a conviction for voter fraud and one, two weeks before that. Now, let's understand. Giuliani here isn't just talking about irregularities. There are definitely irregularities. And anyone who would claim that there would not be irregularities in a situation like this is delusional. Because that could even be just good faith errors that occur in an election of this size, right? Irregularities are going to happen. The issue then becomes, were they happening at an, enough of a scale that it could have changed the result in any one state? But Giuliani here is asserting systemic intentional fraud. He's saying that there were people that tried to steal this election and he can prove it. Now, he does have evidence of it because affidavits do count as evidence. But is it enough to prove to a judge Right, because that's who this would go to. This is not going to be like a go to a jury trial. So go to a judge. Is it enough to convince a judge to toss out ballots? It's going to be a lot of pressure here. There's a lot that you're going to hear from people about how this is um, you know, destroying our democracy about. Uh, oh, this is this is not, now they're going lecturing us about overturning the election. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But here's more of of what Giuliani's allegations are, because I want you to hear from them in specifics. As of today, this is the latest from the campaign. Play it. We could do like a uh, did you all watch My Cousin Vinny? You know, the movie It's one of my favorite uh, law movies because he comes from Brooklyn. And uh, when the the nice lady who said she saw and then he uh, he he says to her, how many fingers do I how many fingers do I got up? And she says, uh, three. Well, she was too far away to see it was only two. These people were further away than my cousin Vinny was from the witness. They couldn't see a thing. Now, I don't know. You're going to tell me that 60 people are lying? They, they, they didn't just tell me this. They swore under penalty of perjury, which is something no Democrats have ever done. <laughs> you don't even ask Biden about this. <laughs> You don't put, put them under penalty. of per- we- Why were people moved away? So this became the issue. And there was this huge fight over access for observers. This this was one of the big issues. Why would they move them away in these Democrat areas, but nowhere, nowhere else? Why was there an effort to push back, you know, 20 feet? I mean, think about how far 20 feet is. Can can you see what someone's doing? With a ballot from 20 feet away. Imagine you're imagine you're a teacher and you're proctoring a final exam. If you had to be the proctor and you know how the teacher walks among the students, which I always found a kind of ominous, you know, prison guard vibe. But anyway, they walk among the students. I don't know if they did that in your school, in my Jesuit school in high school. They certainly did. And, you know, that way you never knew when they were coming your way. So if you had a crib sheet, if you were going to look on someone else's paper You better be careful because the eyes were moving, right? People were walking around to check. If they had to do that from outside in the hallway, looking through the window, you'd have a whole lot more cheating going on, wouldn't you? Because how could they see what you have in your hand? How could they see where your eyes are going? 
That's what Giuliani's alleging here about ballots. Now, you could say, oh, that seems a little bit conspiratorial or, or whatever. But why would they move them so far away? Oh, COVID? Give me a break. I went in. First of all, they're all masked. I thought masks protect us. So now we need masks and 20 feet of social distancing. Remember, it wasn't it wasn't six feet away. Six feet away is you could basically reach out. People have this funny idea that six feet is really far. It's not actually. You know, I'm six feet tall. My body length is not that far away for somebody to be able to see. Um, somebody be able to see what they're doing. So why move them so far away? They, they don't have a good answer for this other than to say COVID. We're so scared of COVID. I'm sure some of the same people involved in this weren't so scared of COVID when they went out into the street. I'm sure they weren't so scared of COVID when they were, um, you know, celebrating what they thought was a Biden victory, but terrified of it when it came to counting ballots in some Democrat strongholds. Friends, I'm sorry. This, this is this is fishy. This situation is problematic. Let's be honest about that. OK, more from. By the way, I like that he brought up Mike Cousin Vinny. It is a great movie. Really enjoy that one. Producer Mark, even you like Mike Cousin Vinny, right? Great movie. Of course. Fantastic. Yeah, great movie. Uh, you know, and there's so much about probably Marissa Tomei's finest work and really Joe Pesci in his top five, I would say. So uh, great film. But he's right. Remember, they show the old lady. She tries. She's not trying to lie, but she can't see that well. And so her witness testimony was not that good because she was too far away. If you're supposed to witness possible ballot fraud and you're too far away, guess what? It's not going to work. Not going to work. So now there's more from Giuliani. Play it. That have come forward are uh, extraordinary, extraordinary number of people, extraordinary number of witnesses. And what emerged very quickly is. Because it's not a singular voter fraud in one state. This pattern repeats itself in a number of states. Almost exactly the same pattern, which um, to any experienced investigator, prosecutor, would suggest that there was a, a plan from a centralized place to execute these various acts of voter fraud, specifically focused on big cities. And specifically focused on, as you would imagine, big cities controlled by Democrats and particularly focused on big cities that have a long history of corruption. The number of voter fraud cases in Philadelphia could fill a library. Just a few weeks ago, there was a conviction for voter fraud and one, two weeks before that. And I've often said I guess sarcastically, but it's true. Right, right. Okay, so we, we, we heard this part of it. So I, I just want to say, let's understand that he is alleging a, a widespread conspiracy. He is. That's what, that's what Rudy Giuliani is saying happened here. The last time that people laughed at him and said he didn't know what he was talking about was around Hunter Biden. Who, who got the last laugh there? Who was telling the truth and who wasn't? He is saying there is a there was a conspiracy in multiple states where there are certainly a lot of statistical anomalies and very fishy, very strange things happening. He's saying that stuff went on there that can only be explained by intentional fraud and a widespread conspiracy. Now, these are big allegations. I get I get it. 
Affidavits are evidence. My concern is this, and you know, you know my, my promise to you. I tell you the truth. I know right now it's good for ratings and for a lot of people on the right. It's just go all in and promise people any moment now, any moment now the smoking gun will emerge. This is going to be trench warfare in these courts. It's going to be little bits here and there. And there's not endless time here. There are deadlines that must be met, right? The state certification, the electoral college, and then inauguration. Those are going to happen. There's no delaying those things. Uh, The Constitution does not allow for a delay of those things. So, or I should say a delay of inauguration and the passing of, of power or the continuation of the current administration. So what they're going to have to do, and this is where I have concerns, is convince a number of judges that the fraud is clear enough and egregious enough that they're going to toss out large numbers of ballots. Now, the law may say that that is what should be done, and the preponderance of evidence may be with the Giuliani team here for the Trump campaign. What I'm telling you, my concern is, I do not see judges in states like Pennsylvania and Georgia and Michigan, I do not see them being willing to do that under almost any circumstance. Now, I understand that's not what people want to hear right now, I'm also the guy who told you the bar probe was not I'm sorry, the Durham probe was not going to arrest anybody and it was going to probably be a big nothing burger. And I was right. Those of you have been with me for years know I'm also the guy who told you that Benghazi once once Obama won reelection, Benghazi was just, uh, you know, Trey Gowdy's auditioning for a Fox News contributorship. And with all those hearings, that's all that's all that that was going to turn into. Nobody was going to jail. Nobody's you know, nothing was really happening. No accountability. So unfortunately, I'm, I'm feeling here like we're going to present all this evidence or the Trump team is going to present all this evidence. It'll be there. You have all these people that are swearing under penalty of perjury. You have all these numbers that don't make sense. One hundred thousand votes just for Biden in Georgia. And then at the end of the day. When all said and done, the judge will just say not convinced. Don't you think that judge wants to be. Patted on the back at the country club. Don't you think that judge wants to you know, be congratulated by parents when they go to pick up their kids at school about how they did the right thing for the Constitution by not letting Trump steal the election? It's like the John Roberts phenomenon. Why do you think John Roberts sells out his constitutional principles on a regular basis? Because he wants to be that guy that kind of keeps it all going and is not a big fighter and he wants to protect the institution. Just cave a little bit to the libs. Just cave a little bit. There's a lot of sweet stuff that comes your way if you sell out your own side. And that's for conservative judges. You think an activist liberal judge is not a million years, right? You you think somebody who's a leftist on the court, you think a Sotomayor on the appeals court or at a a federal court in Pennsylvania or Michigan, somebody of her mindset is going to say, yeah, let's throw out all these votes. This is my this is my concern, friends. This is the challenge that I'm not sure they can get beyond. We will see. I'm keeping the faith. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. They are going to turn up this pressure campaign with everything they've got. You can already see it happening. Here's uh, uh, CNN's sort of uh, bench warmer for the other anchors, John Avalon. 
Here he is telling you that this is time for other Republicans need to step in here. Play five. This is a time for choosing. And at this point, silence is complicity. Republicans need to decide whether they will condone an outright attempt to overturn the election. This is a test of whether you believe in our country more than a cult of personality. And it shouldn't be a tough call. It's Donald Trump versus democracy. Which side are you on? It's just that simple. It's Donald Trump versus democracy. No, it's not that simple, actually. It's we're legally cast ballots. The only ones. The only ones that were allowed. Yeah, that's what it really comes down to. We're legally cast ballots. The only ones that were counted in this whole process. But all the media, you know, what they're, you know, what they're dangling out there right now. Jump ship from Trump. Come over to our side. We'll give you a contributorship. We'll throw you a hundred grand to appear on TV once a week. That's what contributorships often are at these places. And that's a starter. They can be a lot more than be a million dollars a year for some people. Appear on TV when they say get them have to do have them do your makeup, the whole thing. Joe Scarborough, he's also out there saying the same kind of stuff. Play six. They're admitting in front of courts there is no fraud as a matter of law. They're admitting there's no way forward in any of these legal challenges. So now they're moving on and they're going to try to disrupt the electors, doing something that is grossly undemocratic, grossly un-American, and and something that will stay with this Republican Party for years to come. They know it's over and yet they won't do anything about it. Willie, we've ridden the riptide long enough. It's time for America to move forward, get out of it, start swimming back toward the shore and get on firm ground. What is undemocratic about using due process in the court system to bring legal challenges in a dispute? How is that undemocratic? That's why we have a court system. There have been elections determined by fraud in the past. There have been presidential elections that went to court. We all know about Bush v. Gore. So why is this undemocratic? They use these terms as if they have no actual meaning. They just use them because they think it makes them sound fancy. Or if you argue with them, you must be undemocratic. But then again, if you're looking to cable news in general for your analysis of what is good and and right and constitutional, you will generally be be generally be very disappointed thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts it's harsanyi time our buddy david harsanyi from national review in the mix to tell us everything that's going on this week he is the, the the sage of the beltway I don't know. He lives inside D.C. somewhere, so or in the in the Beltway, at least. I know you're 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 not a, not a swamp creature, but you are swamp adjacent. So at least you get a good view of all those swampy things that are going on there. You can tell us what's happening. Let's let's start with where where are lockdowns? You know, up up here in New York City, it's very clear we're we're going into it's going to be the same game. OK, guys, we're just doing this thing. But in two weeks, we'll reevaluate. And I want to say. The dumbass counterproductive thing you're doing isn't going to stop this. So in two weeks, it'll be you guys didn't do a good enough job. So we got to do this other terrible thing. Now we can all see it coming. How's it going down by around you? I'm slightly confused because I uh, Andrew Cuomo had a book out about how he got the lid on this and it was over and he handled it so well. And yet now we're we're back to what was happening before. Right. Um, 
I, you know, it's the same thing everywhere, you know, and what bothers me most about this, oh, a few things bother me, but one thing that bothers me is that no one's even concerned that we have, I mean, I shouldn't say no one, but people aren't seem to be very concerned that we have governors acting like dictators. There's literally no legislatures in session um, passing these, these restrictions or laws. It's just whatever the governor wants. How long does an emergency last? Coronavirus is a serious uh, pandemic. It's killed 200,000 people, but there is a 99% or above you know, survival rate for people who get it. Is that the kind of emergency that allows governors to do whatever they want, close churches, stop people from seeing their families? I mean, it's just, it's, it's, an, it's an insanity. And it seems to me, Davey, that right? there, there's not nearly, not nearly the pushback on this that I would have expected. And look, I'm just going to say it. I think the Trump administration on this has been um, and, I, and I, I think a lot of it was driven by politics and the need to not continue to get beat up you know, with the with the covid attacks leading up to the election. But the DOJ, I, I mean, I'm sorry, you can't have governors telling uh, people that they can't go to church. You can't have mayors staking out, you know, orthodox Jewish communities like they're selling heroin out of the back of the synagogue just because they actually want to gather and, and worship and do their religion. I mean, it's crazy to me. Especially when you have two sets of rules. You have one set of rules for Hasidic Jews in Brooklyn, and you have another set of rules for BLM protesters and another set of rule, rules for people celebrating that Trump lost the election, you know? And uh, at some point, the, this hyper-focus on, on religious Jewish people starts to seem a bit anti-Semitic. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to just throw that around, but... I I, w- I I guarantee you that that wouldn't be the case for any sort of, you know, African American church in in, in Brooklyn, and um, and it's it's getting to be quite uh, quite ugly, I think, because you you create the perception that it's Hasidic Jews who are like spreading this, but yet you you know it spreads in all states, it spreads all over the place, it spreads in states. I mean, there are spikes in states where there are no mask mandates, and there are spikes in states where there are. It's clearly something that is running through society, and, and same thing in Europe. Uh, no matter what kind of uh, uh, lockdowns you have, un- unless you're a really small country, and th- this idea that we can that there's some exemption in the Constitution that allows you to simply make any rule you want because of coronavirus, it's such a dangerous thing. We only we have these rules specifically so that when there are times of emergency and there are times where um, someone will abuse their power, that it withholds them back. But yet it doesn't seem to be the case. And, uh, you know, I, maybe we need more lawsuits. I don't know. But, you know, the idea that you can just shut a church down or shut a gun show down, as they did today in, in Virginia, these are constitutional rights. It doesn't say they're constitutional rights except when you get sick. It, you know, there's no, it, it is what it is, and no one seems to want to defend it. David, I know this sounds perhaps uh, a bit extreme to some, or maybe this sounds like it's exaggeration, but I, I really do believe... It would be fair to say that parts of the Bill of Rights have been suspended during COVID. I mean, when you have governors, as we've been talking about, telling people, we will arrest you if you show up to your church because we say so, that feels like the First Amendment is null and void. When when you have, you know, some people are are uh, confronted with police and fines and dispersal orders for gathering outside anti-lockdown protesters, while others are are celebrated by the authorities, BLM protests and riots and looting, of course, 
That feels like a violation of of equal protection. I, I feel like we need to start using those terms. I completely agree with you. Obviously, you have um, politicians. Give me an example. The attorney general in Virginia who is online celebrating the idea that he's shutting down gun shows, which are no more dangerous than going to a Walmart, which is open. Um, because it's guns and because he wants to undermine the Second Amendment and because he doesn't want citizens to have uh, to to practice their Second Amendment rights. And the same goes with churches. Um, the, the kind of hypocrisy in coverage of, of, of Hasidic Jews getting together or church or mega church people getting together and then BLM protests and the, the celebrations that went on in Times Square and elsewhere when, uh, you know, on election night. It is distressing if you care about the First and Second Amendment and the Fourth and the Fifth and even the Tenth Amendment and the way that people are acting and the way Joe Biden is now talking about national mandates. He's not empowered to do that. Governors are not empowered to stop people from going to church or visiting their families or interacting. And, uh, you know, just because we have an emergency doesn't mean that those things are no longer, um, you know, active. So I, I, I think this, this bodes poorly for us if we had some kind of bigger emergency, not just one that is, and don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying what coronavirus is, but it is something that most people will survive and most people will be okay with. So, you know, 99%, whatever the number is. And uh, the idea that that is enough to just suspend the Constitution, I, I can't imagine what would happen if we'd had some, you know, widespread emergency that affected everyone. We're speaking to David Harsanyi. He's a senior writer at National Review. David, even good old Nicholas Kristof, uh, 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 honestly, I, I know some people find him to be not that smug and annoying. I, I find him horrifically smug and annoying. I'm not a I'm not a Kristoff person at all. Uh, and having met him a couple times and had to deal with him on TV, uh, but even he admits now that. Trump was right about schools, that the Republicans were right about schools. There is no argument anymore. Remember back in, in August when they were talking about how, oh, schools will be super spreaders and the kids will die and basically no kids die. I mean, I'm being serious. You're talking about the same number of kids dying nationwide. And when I say kids, I'm talking about you know, under the age of 18 dying from covid nationwide as you know, die from meningitis in any given year, which is a disease that can kill you and does spread in schools and prisons and places like that. And yet we're still shutting. We shut down schools in New York City. I mean, who the, 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 the journos? Don't they have children? Don't they understand how insane this is when even Nicholas Kristof admits that the lockdowners were wrong and that Trump and the Republicans on schools were right? How, how does this not penetrate? Yeah, I don't know is the answer to that. I would say that uh, hopefully, I mean, this is hopefully people realize that this is the teachers unions most mostly and their power, especially in places like New York City, where they get this done for teachers, not for students. We know that they're not really spreaders. We know that I, I forgot what the infection rate is, but it's minuscule, like 0.23 or something like that. Um, they are not super spreaders. It is not dangerous for children, for most children. They're probably in more danger of being at home, and they're certainly in, in a worse situation for their academic future and for their mental well-being sitting at home. And then think about all the parents who now can't go and, and work or, you know, people who don't have a lot of money who, you know, who can hire, uh, you know, babysitters and so on. It's just it's a tra it's a tragic situation and to go back and forth the way they do. 
on a whim without explaining it really. I mean, you saw Cuomo the other day at the uh, press conference yelling at a reporter where he dared ask him a question about this. Um, it's a it's a it's a generational disaster or can can become one if we continue acting this way. We don't even you know vaccines are coming, but we don't know exactly how that plays out. So you can go into another year with this. This is you're taking two three years of a child's life by not letting them go to school. It is, and there's, you know, not to get too deeply into it, but, you know, teachers can assess learning disabilities or they can assess mental problems or things like that or or depression. You know, you a lot of times teachers are the ones who see that and uh, they're not being able to identify those problems and you're just creating an immense generational problem, I think. I mean, I remember, David, I'm somebody, I, I fell behind in school at a young age. They thought I was going to have to go to a special school I had, which is interesting for somebody who's a radio host now for 10 years, I had a speech impediment and all of this was around second grade, third grade, very important for formative years. If I had to stay at home and stare, stare at a computer screen and did just click on things, I mean, you know, I, I don't even know what would have happened, right? I turned all that stuff around and, and had a, a much better, brighter academic future than anybody would have thought at that point. But the point that, but I'm just making this point that what you're saying is so spot on here. There's no real counter argument to it. But the Democrats, it's just all about power and what they want. I mean, it is about the teachers unions. And honestly, just letting a bunch of lazy asses stay at home and get a paycheck. I mean, the people that work at my local grocery store, God bless them, the, the, the clerks, the manager, they've been there every day of COVID. They've never shut down. They've showed up to do their jobs. They're all still alive. They're all still fine. They can show up to make sure that my neighborhood's got groceries. But, you know, fourth grade teachers who are mostly in their 30s and 40s, if not younger, they can't do their jobs. Right. And part of this is, and I hate to get too political, is that they have a monopoly on schools. So there's no, you know, I'm not sure about New York, but I, I think that the private schools are going to continue to be open, Catholic schools and so on. So you can't even make decisions. And most people can't afford to send their kids to private schools. So they're stuck in these schools that are closed down and they don't have much of a say in it because it doesn't even go through the legislature. I don't think, right. I think Cuomo just closes the schools down when he feels like it or, or de Blasio. Yeah. Whatever. It's just based on arbitrary call. numbers it, that they uh, set up. Yeah. Right. And there's no evidence that these are super spreaders. If you look to Europe, it has no, there's no correlation between those things. As far as I can tell, and, you know, it's funny because when this first started, I was very willing to listen to the lockdown people, the mass people, everything like that. I, I want everyone to be safe. I want my neighbor to feel safe when I'm around them, et cetera. But some things like masks, you know, there's all kinds of evidence out there about masks. It doesn't hurt me to wear when I wear one. But with the schools, it's overwhelming evidence that they are not dangerous. It's, there's overwhelming evidence that children are not in danger. There's overwhelming evidence that if you're in your 30s and 40s, you're probably not in any danger either. You have to protect vulnerable people. And there are people who have immunosuppressed systems or are older, and we should do that. But to shut all of society down, I don't even understand why most Democrats are want that. I, I could understand it when they were trying to hurt Trump. And I'm not saying they made coronavirus up. It's a hoax. I'm just saying that they were much no, more but they weaponized to it. try to shut down. It. They, they weaponized it against yeah, Trump. Exactly. But, but now they're continuing with that weaponized but, mindset yeah. against the American people. That's what we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're seeing. I mean, I, uh, you know, it's a CNN, you know, well, I, I just Essie Cup, who we both know. Right. We work all work together, I think, for a short time. Uh, you know, today she's out there saying, oh, there's a correlation between states that don't have mask mandates and those who do. And then they take a snapshot in time of today and show you the spikes. 
New York last week had the biggest spikes there were, and everyone supposedly following all the rules there, except for Hasidic Jews, right? So how is that possible? California had a huge spike. When you look at uh, Europe, places like Belgium and, and Germany even, and elsewhere there are huge spikes where supposedly everyone's listening to the rules. It's clear to me that some small countries have been able to contain this, Norway maybe, or, or wherever, yeah, Singapore, New Zealand. Big country, yeah, uh, you can, even they have trouble, and they're an island that can just shut down. We cannot do that. We just can't. And I, 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 I think the economic cost and the cost to our children at this point for more lockdowns is is just too immense. And, uh, and, I'm, and I'm with you, you David. Know, it was first, you know, flat. Now it's just no one can have it and no one can die, and it's just not a way to run a country. Absolutely correct. David Harsani, everybody, read his latest at nationalreview.com. Always a voice of reason. David, thanks so much, man. Good to talk to you again. Anytime. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, they haven't dropped all the Russia stuff still, right? This is This is used as a continued smear of trump a a way to get after him even to this day they have not backed off of this they have decided that this is just going to be something they continue on with and here's here's an example anything with trump they got to talk about about putin and they've created this russian boogeyman i believe in russia the boogeyman is called baba baba yaga which i only know because of john wick which is a great action movie if you have not seen it ridiculous but great And here's Susan Rice, play 17. But when you have the president of the United States daily, constantly discrediting the election, pouring uh, doubt on the results, false doubt, false doubt, that not only misinforms a huge segment of our population and corrodes trust in our democracy and our institutions themselves, but makes us a laughingstock around the world and does great damage to the democratic model, which is why I'm quite sure that Vladimir Putin is is doing a happy dance uh, in Moscow as we speak. But this is extraordinarily irresponsible. Just break out the Putin comparison or the, the Putin name whenever you need to. Right. That's the usual <laughs> the usual nonsense that we get. Susan Rice, she's going to come back in the uh, Biden administration. And I tell you this much, uh, Senator Cotton knows what's up with her. Play 14. Play clip 14, Mark. Susan Rice was the typhoid Mary of the Obama administration foreign policy. She was at the middle of every terrible, flawed decision. Just take Libya, for example. Many people remember Benghazi, but the very fact that we launched that war to begin with, without any plan for stability afterwards, to turn that country into an open civil war zone where they are still engaged in the slave trade, which allowed millions of migrants to cross the Mediterranean Sea if they survived the crossing and flood into Europe. That's an example of the kind of terrible judgment that Susan Rice displayed in the Obama administration. It's why a Democratic didn't, couldn't even confirm her in 2012 when Barack Obama wanted to make her a Secretary of State. If a Democratic Senate couldn't confirm her, I doubt that a Republican Senate is going to confirm Susan Rice. Yeah. We'll see about that, but Obama's foreign policy was terrible. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's one of the best moments from uh, from this week, as as in as in the most entertaining. I mean, it's it's a bad moment for 
believing that leadership in places like New York State is not completely incompetent and, and idiotic. But but here's one that I wanted to share with you. Governor Cuomo, why do I do the accent like this? Why do I say that Cuomo sometimes sounds like this? Because sometimes his voice is more down here. Sometimes it's harder to understand what exactly my Cuomo impersonation comes from. But when he gets upset, when Governor Cuomo is unhappy with someone, as he became at a press conference... You will hear that this is exactly how he sounds. Producer Mark, play clip two, please. So what are you talking about? How, what are you talking about? You're now going to override. We did it already. That's the law, an orange zone and a red zone. Follow the facts. You're still confused. Well, then you're confused. I'm confused. And then I think I'll tell you what, Jimmy. Still, parents are still confused as well. The schools no, in they're not confused. Tomorrow. You're confused. No, I think but parents read the are law, confused as well. Read the law, and you won't be confused. Well, it turns out that Cuomo was confused there because he was saying schools will be open. And then a couple of hours after that press conference, that was yesterday, uh, he had to say, or actually it came out from de Blasio, that schools, in fact, were closing. So, who's the one who needs to read the law? You're confused. I'm not confused. You're confused, Cuomo says. You are the confused one. Absolutely confused. Very much so. Very confused. Um. So just just remember that the people that are telling you what to do all the time, uh, they are often imbeciles who have no idea what they're talking about. Don't feel like you need to show them deference. Don't feel like you need to uh, deal with them in a way that always treats their every pronouncement like it comes from a place of intelligence or good faith, because no, there's a lot of a lot of idiots out there in, unfortunately, very powerful positions. Mayor de Blasio of New York City. Uh, he has put forward the school shutdown. Now, he'll say that it's not his fault. There's a metric. Well, he just came up with some metric. It has to do with the general population, not the school population. And what's interesting about that is that, yeah, the general New York City population has a test positivity rate of close to 3% now. But that means that of 100, people always leave this out, of 100 people that go get COVID tests right now in New York, only three actually have COVID. Right. So well, that means there are a lot of people that think they have COVID or who are getting tests, at least who don't. But the test positivity rate is not really an important indicator. What is an important indicator is hospitalizations and deaths. And when you look at schools, there's basically no hospitalizations and no deaths whatsoever of children and very, very few among school staff. So that's why when de Blasio says stuff like this, people like me want to freak out and yell at him, play nine. And as a result, we do need to close our schools for the coming days. Uh, no one is happy about this decision. We all, in fact, are feeling very sad about this decision because so much good work has been put into keeping the schools opened and cl- opening them up to begin with. Let's start there, opening the schools when almost no other major school system in America opened, making them so safe. But we set a very clear standard, and we need to stick to that standard. And I want to emphasize to parents, to educators, to staff, to kids, that we intend to come back and come back as quickly as possible. 
Yeah, we'll see about that. We'll see how long it takes, how much misery de Blasio is willing to put us all through. Because if we've seen, if if we can take what's gone on to this point as some kind of an indicator, I mean, I, I think it is very clear that de Blasio and these other Democrat politicians, Newsom in California, Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, uh, the mayor of Chicago, the governor of Michigan. You go down the list, all these different Democrats, and they are appalling, appalling in their indifference to so much of the suffering that these lockdowns create. And they're never going to admit that they were wrong. They're never going to admit that they were bad policy, bad ideas. And the best way to make sure that no one can question them is to call for more lockdowns, right? If we're always going through a series of lockdowns, how can we even know? How can we even know what we've uh, what we've been able to accomplish or not in any given uh, in any given moment, any given place in the country? But it's it's uh, sad. It's sad to see that those who are in charge in this way uh, are so indifferent and that the suffering that's going to happen as a result of parents that now have what are they going to do with their kids? What's the plan? How does this work? Right. But there is no plan. The plan is just shut down out of panic. Make sure that they can't be uh, accused of being the problem here. And I'm just going to keep saying it. This is not rooted in the science. And the Democrats are being really ruthless here. This this somehow was about defeating Trump. And now they can't turn it off. Now they can't stop thinking of of this as a way of attacking um, all of us, right, of attacking our freedoms, of locking us all down. They're so convinced they're right. And I really believe this, especially I come across this among Democrats. They simply do not. They simply do not want to believe that they were wrong. They think they're too smart for that. They think that 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 doesn't compute for them. I'm a smart person, so I believe in masks and social distancing mantra as the the key to defeating this pandemic. Here I am saying we've been doing that for months. How long do we have to do this and not make any change that we can point to at all in the caseload or the mortality or anything else before you recognize that as a policy, as a policy that does not work? This is what they don't understand. It's one thing to say, I keep bringing this up. If you wear a mask all the time and social distance all the time, you might. That's not how human beings function. And the very people that are telling us to do that don't function that way. So why do we keep pretending that having those policies are going to work when we know that people won't do even what would be necessary by their own scientific, uh, their own scientific assessment for all of us to do? Right. If you if you're around somebody and they're breathing out virus and you pull that mask down for one second, you might have been infected. Right. You don't know. Depends on how much viral load is in the air. And we have no real way of measuring these things. But all I can tell you is that you look at states that have mandates, you look at states that don't. And there's nothing you can point to that shows that mandates really work and help. And we know that the thing with the mandate is it's guaranteed it's guaranteed that it's going to be uh, painful and economically disastrous. That you definitely get. 
And you're going to see a tremendous amount, especially going into this winter of the blame game being played here over who's responsible for all this pain and suffering. Play clip eight. Here's Bernie Sanders on that. I think if we come out strong from day one, standing up and making it clear that we have proposals to benefit working families, and if we are prepared to go into those states to tell those Republican senators, you're not going to vote for a strong COVID-19 package which protects workers, guess what? We're heading into your state. We're going to explain it to the people in your state. Now, we don't know what the results in Georgia will be, but it is going to be a very, very tight Senate. And I think we can put pressure on individual Republicans to do the right thing by talking to the constituents in their own state when we have clear proposals, raising the minimum wage, expanding health care, making public colleges and universities tuition free. You make that clear. I think the people in those states will put pressure on their Republican senators. We got a one point six trillion dollar student loan debt. And Bernie Sanders answer is to just essentially nationalize all college and university payment, make it all make it all free. I mean, wow, what what a giveaway, right? I mean, think think of how the teachers unions are such an essential engine of Democrat Party power. And now imagine you have colleges and universities and now I'm talking about state college and, and, and you know community college and universities. But imagine that that everyone just goes tuition free. It's all paid by the government. Those places are going to be even more communist enclaves than they currently are. It's going to be outrageous. But remember, Bernie Sanders is out there saying that they want to help people. He's out there making this case. And on the other side of it, you got uh, you've got Nancy Pelosi, who slowed down aid to cities, who didn't want to do what was necessary to help the cities because she wasn't getting everything that she wanted. So they're completely willing to watch people suffer during this pandemic. They have no problem with the continued suffering that's going on because of their intransigence on some of these issues. And now they want to act like they care so much and they they want to help you. It's just absurd. Mitch McConnell points this out. Cocaine Mitch, let's hear from him. Play 16. Republicans have spent months, months trying to get another bipartisan rescue package passed and signed into law for the American people. For months, our position has been entirely consistent. We want to reach agreement on all the areas where compromise is well within reach, send hundreds of billions of dollars to urgent and uncontroversial programs, and let Washington argue over the rest later. There's no reason why doing right by struggling families should wait until we resolve every difference on every issue. But unfortunately, both Speaker Pelosi and the Democratic leader have been equally consistent. And they don't think Congress should do anything at all, anything, unless they get to cash out a far left ideological wish list, including things with zero relationship to the present crisis. That is what's going on. It's give Pelosi exactly what she wants or nothing. And it's nothing for the people. It's nothing for Pelosi constituents. But Chardonnay Nancy doesn't care. She's got millions. And, and she's powerful. And she, she just plans to keep doing exactly what she's, what she's doing right now. Because she's a master legislator. Uh, she's really concerned about one thing and one thing only, as I always tell you. Speaker Pelosi is concerned with her own power. Play 13. <laughs> it's a statement that I made. 
And we are, uh, listen, if my husband is listening, don't let me have to be too more specific than that because uh, we never expected to have another term now. I consider this a gift. And I, I, I can't wait to be working with Joe Biden and preparing us for our transition into the future. So I don't want to undermine any leverage I may have, but I, I made the statement. It's all about what Pelosi's going to get out of this. It's all about Pelosi benefiting, but she pretends it's about the people. That's the funny part. She pretends it's about helping all of the rest. Never true then, never true now, but Nancy gets away with it somehow. I, I'm... There, there's a part of me that's fascinated by her, such a an unimpressive person who's managed to just cling so ruthlessly but effectively to power for so long. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Recent reports that Donald Trump was actively considering a major military strike against uh, Iranian targets really is quite disturbing because you know, we, what we don't want to do is to trigger some type of conflict right now during this transition period when Joe Biden has to pick up the pieces on January 20th. So uh, Mike Pompeo has demonstrated time and again that he's willing to do Donald Trump's bidding irrespective of what the implications are for U.S. national security interests. And so I'm hoping that there's going to be no activity that really is going to make it more difficult for us to try to repair the damage that has been done over the last four years in terms of Donald Trump's actions on Middle East policies. It really needs to be addressed very carefully. And that's why I think it is outrageous that Joe Biden and his team have not been allowed to have insight into what is currently underway in the Middle East and around the world. This transition period is so critically important to ensure that U.S. national security interests are going to be protected. So much to talk about here. That was former CIA director and close Obama advisor guy Brennan, one of the chiefs of the Russia collusion hoax. And here he is lecturing people about Trump and the transition to Biden when Biden has not the votes in the states have not been certified. The Electoral College votes have not been cast. We do not know. And yet he's claiming that there's a horrible crime being done here because there's not more movement in the in this tra- in the transition that's not even clear it's happening. This is a guy who was part of sabotaging, actively sabotaging the incoming Trump administration in 2016 based on lies, based on total chicanery, uh, just utter bull. And you know, he, here he is lecturing people. He's just. Uh, Lecturing people on this one, it's it's just disgusting. But also beyond that, to talk about Obama's for to, to have been part of Obama's Mideast policy and the foreign policy Obama administration and act like you're in a position to lecture anyone about anything is mind blowing. I really mean that it is completely mind blowing. The Obama administration's foreign policy was a disaster. No achievements to point to. Nothing that went well, everything went badly, and, and you see it for yourself. Just look, look at a place, look at a, look at an important, yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe our relationship with, you know, Moldova in, improved, although I doubt it, right? Maybe, you know, maybe we find some country somewhere in all the hot spots. China got, get, got to just run over us and do whatever they wanted, no real pushback. Uh, Iraq was a disaster, Syria disaster, Libya disaster. I mean, go down the list. The rise of ISIS, 
And now you have this very troubling trend, and it's coming from a lot of Republicans, too. Trump wants to draw down even more in Afghanistan. And you have all these Republicans who are saying, no, no, we can't do that. We have a, such a strategic interest in Afghanistan. What's the strategic interest in Afghanistan? What, what that we're going to just stay there forever to make sure the Taliban never takes over? Is that, is that our strategic? So, so we've permanently, partially colonized Afghanistan. Is that the plan? What are we really doing there? Oh, we're, we're stopping it from becoming a terrorist safe haven. Look, I used to believe this rhetoric, too. I used to think that, yeah, yeah, we got to do that. But I mean, if, if they come at us, if there's another 9-11 like plot that happens from somewhere in Afghanistan, you know, we'll go there. We'll lay waste to the whole thing again. I mean, you know, we, we, we can't live our life in constant fear of a strike that happened 20 years ago that could be plotted from any number of places that aren't Afghanistan. So, you know, I, I just think that the, the stories you're seeing about the, the permanent national security bureaucracy essentially standing athwart Trump's efforts to pull out of these countries, I always just want to say, who the heck do they think they are? What makes them think that it's legitimate for them to try to thwart the will of the duly elected president of the United States in this way? I mean, it, it's appalling. The fact that they believe that they should be the ones stopping the president from doing a drawdown of troops in Afghanistan, where do they get that authority? I mean, the forever war mentality is one thing that I hope we carry on into the next administration and the one after that. And I mean, the anti forever war mentality, right? The fact that we've learned how terrible forever war is. I hope we carry that lesson on that we continue to understand what a disaster that is. And Trump has not started wars. God bless him for it. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Telling you, man, that uh, dubstep music is gonna make a comeback one day. It's gonna make a comeback one day. All right, here we go. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Uh, you can also send us messages on Instagram. Just send us a direct message to Buck Sexton. And yeah, we got things going, folks. We got things happening. Make sure you also subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash bucksex. And we're posting original content now to YouTube uh, every weekday. So it's kind of a buck rant. That's what we're doing there. Let's get to it. Henry. Hey, Buck, in regards to your idea of choosing and flipping one city to turn it red. I love it. For far too long, the left has been ravaging our states like locusts. I think it's time to put them on the defensive. And put them in the mentality of, I got to leave this red state for somewhere more liberal, like many of us say about living in a blue state. I'd like to nominate the name Operation Red Storm and nominate my beautiful city of Greensboro in the besieged state of North Carolina. This can be a great staging area to eventually overrun Raleigh. Love your show. Shields high. Uh, That sounds great. I mean, Greensboro. Yeah, we, we make Greensboro that red stronghold that urban red stronghold in North Carolina. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. I think Greensboro is actually pretty, pretty liberal from what I understand right now. Um, 
And yeah, then eventually to take over Raleigh, that would be great. Well, this is what we need to do. We need to consolidate. We need to have enough conservatives in a we need a conservative city. If one existed, a lot of other people would want to live in it. Right. A lot of people would go there. But we've just for so many of a lot of complicated reasons all pulled together. We just don't have one. There's no such thing. No such thing as a large red Republican city in America. They're all blue. They're all, you know, find me the state. They're all blue. Even when I was in Montana over the summer, they were they were complaining about uh, about how Bozeman was liberal. I mean, I'm like, Bozeman is liberal. Oh, yeah. Bozeman, bunch of libs and Bozeman come from California. I'm sitting here. You got to be kidding me. Even in Montana. (sighs) It's crazy. It's crazy talk. Bruce and Mark, what's the what's the most Republican part of New Jersey? Do we know? Is, is is there are there rural parts of New Jersey that are very red? Oh yeah, there are very rural parts. I don't know off the top of my head the exact towns, but uh, I think believe there's parts of North Jersey and South Jersey, just all over. They're kind of spread. Yeah, like there are parts of New Jersey where people go hunt deer and stuff yeah. like that, right? I mean, yeah. once you get closer to Pennsylvania and upstate New York, yeah, that's where it is. Yeah, because it, it always, my, my, you know, New Jersey for me is across the river and it feels like an extension of New York, but I know that there's far, far beyond that, the great state of NJ, where I think I told you recently, there's like very high happiness index for people in New Jersey when they do these state happiness assessments. People in New Jersey apparently very happy. I'm just happy to be off of Long Island. Cesspool that place is. Why, why, yeah. why New Jersey better than Long Island for you? Well, number one, the taxes. I mean, uh, Nassau and Suffolk County have the highest taxes in the country. Ouch. So I definitely uh, am never planning on living there again. That's the number one reason. Ouch. No. All right, Chris, next up here. Buck, I've seen you on TV here and there throughout the years. Finally caught your podcast many, many months ago. Haven't missed an episode since. It's an intelligent, zero tolerance for ignorance show. And though it deals with a lot of serious subject matter in the world, it's a highlight of the day to click on your show while cooking dinner for the family. I don't call into radio shows or reach out like this, but I wanted to say thanks, love the show, and now I feel like I can make a proper claim to join the many and say Shield Side. Chris, thanks so much for writing in. We love getting first-timers writing in and really appreciate your support of the show. It means a lot, and um, that's a great way to do it, too. Listen during... Uh, when you're making dinner or you're getting ready for things, uh, you know, at night after a long day of work, uh, this, this show will catch you up on everything you need to know. And and we really appreciate that. And thank you for being a part of the team. And please, if you don't mind, spread the word. Tell some friends of yours, hey, you got to try this guy, Buck Sexton. Listen to his show. Bob, panic, insanity, buying of toilet paper, paper towels, Kleenex is underway in southwest Indiana. At Target this afternoon, shelves were completely empty. In fact, Target was using the shelves to store air fryers that are on sale. The insanity is even greater than in February and March. How soon can we blame Biden-Harris? Oh, that's right. This is Trump's fault, according to the media and the libs. Yeah, Bob, it's happening in my neighborhood, too. I'm already starting to see, you know, you get the first sign is that you only get that TP. You know, you only get that toilet paper that's kind of off brand and you're like, that's going to be a little rough on my tushy, you know, the bad toilet paper. You know what I'm talking about, Mark? Yeah. One ply. Yeah. There's like the, yeah, exactly. Like you know, public everybody, school toilet paper. Everybody wants that nice, luxurious, capitalist, first world TP. You know what I mean? You want that stuff. You do not want the bootleg TP. It is not good. And I go to the store now and that's all that I see. And that that is that is rough. And I don't want to have to like use, you know, what do they use for babies or whatever? You know, what I'm talking baby about wipes. This? 
No, well, they, yeah, that, but uh, is it uh, des- desident? You know, because if things get, a, if there's a little bit of roughness, you know, you don't want that. You want the soft TP. Just get a bidet. That seems like a lot. I don't have the room. My, my bathroom, I live in an apartment in New York City. My bathroom is tiny. Uh, the bidet. Yeah, they they have know. ones that attach to toilets. Did they really? Yeah. yeah. It's a big thing now. Yeah. I mean, I'll just tell you this. There's, there's the panic buying already starting to happen. And what I find amazing is people, they, they want to stock up on, on like dried pasta. And I just want to say, if, if it comes down to that last, that last box of, you know, baked ziti or whatever, or of ziti is what keeps you going, you know, keeps you from starving. Society's got such bigger problems that I don't think it's going to matter that you got one more box of ziti. I'm just going to say it. I, I think uh, we got bigger issues. So I wish people wouldn't do the panic buying, but that's what's it's already happening. Paper towel is going to be very hard to come by. Lysol wipes, even though, friends, it's aerosolized. It's not about surfaces. We've learned this. Everyone needs to pay attention to this now. You know, that's that's where we are. But, you know, the libs, libs don't want to, people don't want to listen. People don't want to listen. They want to think that what they've been doing in the past is smart, it's right. Uh, such is life. All right, Brian, I heard you say that liberals blame us for the mask and lockdowns being ineffective by saying we're just not doing it right. Isn't that just the same excuse they use to explain why socialism has always failed? Yeah, Brian, that's what I've been saying. That is my argument. That every time a, lo- a lockdown or a mask mandate fails, every time that happens, the response is we didn't do it enough. And you see a, a similar mentality when it comes to socialism and communism. What happens is that it doesn't work. We know it's not going to work. And then they turn around and they say, well, you didn't do it the right way. That's the problem. It's you. It's not that our ideas are wrong. It's that you didn't do the idea the way it was supposed to be done. A very easy way to evade accountability. And certainly for socialists, that's a, a highly appealing a highly appealing situation. They, they want to avoid accountability. Um, TJ Buck, can the Republicans put up a nominee for the next House Speaker against the Democrat nominee Pelosi? Uh, also, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Speaker does not have to be a member of the House. Therefore, would not it would would it be unreasonable for Republicans to nominate an agreeable moderate Democrat who does not belong to the House and who may be able to pull away a few Democrat votes come January. I'm thinking someone along the lines of a certain former congresswoman from the Aloha state. What do you say? Uh, I mean, TJ, it's a nice idea, but it's not going to happen. Nancy Pelosi rules that Democrat roost with an iron grip. Uh, she's not messing around and they're going to she's going to get her way. And Republicans have no. They got we got nothing to trade. We, we got nothing to offer for putting forward a nominee that's different than what the Democrat caucus would want or what the Democrat base would want. So that's where we are. Um, a nice idea. Interesting thinking outside the box. And yeah, it'd be nice to have Tulsi Gabbard. But remember, Tulsi Gabbard's a huge liberal, guys. I mean, she's just not a, a hateful, spiteful liberal with no redeeming qualities. But she's a big liberal. That's real. Pablo, hey, Buck, I was remembering all the annex the left pulled in 2016 until Inauguration Day in 2017. The left started with Obama holding a press conference stating it was the Russians. Um, then the campaign to change the Electoral College's votes, as if that wasn't enough, 
The crazy House members began begging the Senate not to certify the Electoral College vote. This was daily and accepted by all the left-wing outlets. Now it's un-American to legally challenge the tallies in the courts. Hypocrites! Shields high. Now, Pablo, you're right. I remember there was the whole push among Democrats for faithless electors that the Democrats were trying to get. This is in 2016. They were trying to get people in the Electoral College who were, you know, were bound by their word to to support a certain candidate. They were trying to get them to just switch, you know, which which technically could happen. But can you imagine? (laughs) Imagine what that would have resulted in. So, yes, um, the, the Democrats tried everything, every dirty trick they could come up with. There was nothing that they were unwilling to do in this process um, of trying to stop Trump in 2016. I mean, they, they did everything they could think of. So I, I agree with you that it's it's very hypocritical for them now to turn around and say, why aren't you respecting our democracy? Because we all know that it's not about democracy for them. We all know that it's not about respecting the system. They just they want what they want. That's it. They want to get the they want to get the result that is desired. Everything else, everything else is noise. Matt writes, Buck, Marx and Engels envisioned that the care and education of the children becomes a public affair. Society looks after all children alike, whether they're legitimate or not. My question to you is, does this mean that public education, daycare, et cetera, is inherently Marxist? Keep up the fantastic work. You too, producer Mark Shields. Hi. Uh, yes. I mean, social public schools are socialism. So, yes, that that, that is true. Uh, and, and I don't think they have to inherently be Marxist indoctrination centers. But the concepts, uh, the concept of public school is is socialist. And um, I think it's interesting that we're in a wealthier and wealthier society with more and more free access to information and yet we rely on the state to provide education for children much more so than we should have to you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast the roll call continueth with wendy Hopefully not off gallivanting with Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. Buck and Mark, I have not ever responded to a talk show host before, but after listening to the two of you talking about favorite Thanksgiving side dishes last week, I was compelled to offer up a new option for you. It broke my heart, and I found it really hard to believe that both of you have gone through your entire life and not had the opportunity of experiencing a green bean casserole at Thanksgiving or Christmas. I can't help but wonder if that's a regional preference or not, but I grew up in the Midwest where it was standard. Um, well, Wendy, we appreciate your, your thoughtfulness about us. Um, I just know that green beans are the thing that you usually put on a kid's plate so that there's something green and they're eating healthy. I don't think anyone ever goes, mmm, give me those green beans. But maybe is, if the casserole has like cheese and breading and stuff, is that, I mean, how, what's in a green bean casserole, producer Mark? I have to imagine there's cheese and, and breading and whatnot in it. Why else would people eat it? That's a good question. Let's see. It, uh, I'm looking at a picture of it. It looks like there's some sort of... Oh, green beans, cream of mushroom soup, and French fried onions. According that to actually Wikipedia. sounds like it's probably pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't mind a green bean. It's just not the thing that I'm looking forward to at Thanksgiving dinner. 
I mean, cream of mushroom soup, I used to drink that all the time as a kid. I loved it. I thought cream of mushroom soup was amazing. So, so I like instead say, of like fruit punch, you'd have cream of mushroom soup? No, I wouldn't drink it like that, <laughs> but I'm saying, yeah, that's gross. Um, I, I did think that, I think that Kool-Aid, fruit punch Kool-Aid, I went through a phase where I thought that was amazing. I also drank a lot of Yoohoo until I figured out one day that it's not even chocolate milk, it's chocolate drink. Well, yeah, how do you think it's just sitting there on shelves? Yeah. I used to drink a lot of Nestle Quick, which was uh, not calorically a good decision, but it was delicious. I will say that. Loved, I loved that. Um, so, yeah, Wendy, uh, maybe maybe this year at Thanksgiving I'll, I'll try my first green bean casserole. Sounds like it's, it's probably quite yummy. I mean, anything with cream of mushroom soup. I was kind of just thinking of like a big green bean side dish. And green beans are fine. I'm a cooked green vegetables fan in general. I like Brussels sprouts. I, I even like kale. I love spinach. You know, I'm into uh, broccoli. I'm into all that stuff. Green beans, you know, man, I like them with a little bit of sliced almond, you know, kind of the, uh, the French style. You know, what is it? Green bean almondine or something. That's, that stuff is good. I, I know There's personally some- I only eat the vegetables at Thanksgiving, so I don't get judged for not eating vegetables. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not there for the vegetables. No, no, no one's there for the vegetables. Though. But what is your... What is your healthy vegetable of choice to balance out the, like, plate of barbecue ribs you're going to have? Cauliflower. It is always the most versatile. Cauliflower? Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. All right, I'll take it. Um, next up here, speaking of food, Wilson. Oreos are actually a ripoff of Hydrox. The Hydrox came first. I know all about it because they're my dad's favorite cookie. He has maintained a dislike for Oreos. However, Hydrox are now back. They are not in stores, but you can order them online. Get get some uh, and enjoy. I I was unaware of that. I thought that Hydrox was like the cheapo ripoff of of Oreos. Apparently, Oreos are the better improved version of Hydrox. Who knew? There are cheapo ripoffs of Oreos, though. Obviously. Yeah, of course, cheapo ripoffs of all kinds of cookies. Um, so yeah, that's that's right. I I miss the days when I used to be able to eat. My cereal guilty pleasure was Cinnamon Toast Crunch for the longest time. Ooh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is good. I would imagine there's not much gluten-free cereal in the regular aisle. No, I mean, if it's rice-based, but not even Rice Krispie Treats, standard Rice Krispie Treats are gluten-free because they use a malted barley sweetener, which has gluten in Mm. it, to sweeten them up a little bit, which is a shame. Um, I think... Is it, is it kicks? I think are made with corn. Maybe or there, there's a couple of. I don't. Corn no one who has maybe. gluten problems. Listen to me on this. I forget. I don't really eat cereal. They make gluten free granola and all that stuff. But if you're looking for a really good gluten free cereal, there's not many of them. Um, I think there is gluten. There are gluten free Cheerios that you can get, but there's not a lot. There's not a lot. Next up here, Tom. Oh wait, no, we got to leave it there for today. Oh my gosh, show just flew by. Everybody pass the buck. Tell somebody about the show this week. Share it with them. It's on the iHeart app, Spotify, you name it. Until next time, Shields High.